0: Good morning. Is my mic on? Everything working fine? Great to be with you. Oh, what a good looking group. I'm in a different church every Sunday and you guys are right up there with some of the best looking congregational members I've seen. I've got to be honest with you, I'm a little gimpy this morning. I had total knee replacement surgery about a month ago. So don't tell my doctor I'm doing this because I'm not supposed to be. But anyway, if I fall down and collapse in a heap and pass out, we'll just all dismiss early. And you can go home. So anyway, yes, you are a part of a movement called Converge uh, Worldwide. And our region is called Converge Rocky Mountain. God's people coming together. God's people converging together to accomplish God's purposes in the world. We believe that the local church really is the hope of the world. And you know the kind of struggles that our world is in right now. But it's a church that can bring hope and life change. And I hope you believe that as well. We also believe that every church is going to be stronger when we partner together, instead of acting as an individual island of ministry, that we really combine forces and pray for each other and share our resources together and learn from each other and collaborate together. We think we're going to be a stronger force for the movement of God. Our shared mission statement is churches together, transforming lives and communities. Churches together, transforming lives and communities. That's really what it's all about: is, is transformation. And last year, by working together, our 57 churches in our Rocky Mountain region did some pretty incredible things. We contributed over thirty thousand dollars to flood victims in Estes Park, and most recently, up in Lusk, Wyoming, we started four new churches in Colorado, Wyoming, and and Utah. Uh, we have new churches that are starting in Salt Lake. Talk about crazy guys! You know, families—they're just going into Salt Lake and saying we're gonna we're gonna be a beachhead for the gospel. I just visited a, a guy this Wednesday. His church is doing a VBS. They haven't even started yet. They haven't even gone public as a church. They had 60 kids in their VBS. He said we know seven, 53 kids came from the neighborhood, uh, from homes that 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 aren't attached to any kind of a church. It's just amazing to see how God is working. They start in September, but God is already. At work, So that's some pretty exciting stuff. We baptized over 900 people, changed lives. Very exciting for our team of churches. But, but we believe that there's more that God wants us to do. 11 million people in the Rocky Mountain West, 9.5 million are unchurched. I hope that breaks your heart. I mean, I started to tear up a little bit. I just, I, you just can't believe the spiritual need. We live in an incredibly beautiful part of the country. But spiritually, it is dark, it is needy, and that's why we need to band together. And so we're going to join together and try to add 100 new churches over the next 10 years. We believe that God can help us to do that. It's going to take people, it's going to take resources, it's going to take a lot of planning and wisdom and knowing where to start the churches. But we believe that if we just blanket the Rocky Mountain West with Christ-centered, healthy, thriving churches, we're going to see a lot of life change happen. And that's really what it's all about, whether it's flood relief or compassion projects or like Pastor Jimmy going around the world. I was in Guatemala where they're, where they're serving really cool church that they're working with down there, just amazing. All, all, all that we do is really about transformed lives and communities. We want to see Christ-like change take place. In fact, that's the, the theme I want to talk about this morning I want to explore the idea that this kind of radical spiritual transformation in our region and in our world is going to happen best when it first happens in us, when it first happens in our churches. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 3, 1 through 17, or maybe your smartphone or your iPad, your toaster, whatever you're reading your Bible on these days. And we're going to let this passage guide us this morning. Let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we come before you. A lot of busyness. I don't know what people were dealing with as they came over here today. The rush, the the thoughts, the worries, the anticipation of an event later on today. But for right now, we just want to bracket this time out for you. We want to sit at your feet. We want to learn the lessons that you have for us. Lord, you know everyone in this room so much better than I do. Just take my words and personalize them for everybody, including me. Challenge all of us to learn and to grow. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm guessing that most of you have heard or or seen the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition was on a couple of years ago i don't know if you're familiar with that show but you know ty pennington and his design team would show up at a needy family's dilapidated home and they'd send them away to to disney world and in a short week they would turn the their mess of a house into a a mansion are you familiar with what i'm talking about have you seen that maybe you remember the climactic scene where the family is back but they can't see their house because there's a big bus in the way And there's all the crowd of volunteers, and they're chanting, move that bus, move that bus, until the bus finally pulls away. And there in front of the family is this spectacular new home. And it is so beautiful that their knees buckle, and they start to cry. And Ty gives them a tour of the whole thing, and it's all sponsored by Sears. Am I coming close to capturing the moment? For those of you who have... I'm having a heart attack here. Just one second. Okay, now I'm good. All right. Now, just imagine if this happened. The crowd is chanting, move that bus, move that bus. The family is there. Ty is there. The bus rolls away. And there in front of the family is the same old mess that was there a week ago. And there's a gasp in the crowd. What's this? And Ty has to step up to the microphone and say, I'm sorry, folks. I know this isn't what you were expecting, but, but our hands were tied. The, the design team was ready. The builders were in place. We had hundreds of volunteers to make the transformation happy uh, happen. But, but before the family left, they told us that they were perfectly happy with their current mess. They forbid us from making any improvements. Consequently, nothing has changed for this old house. That's the way the family wants it. Can you imagine the crowd's response? Are these people crazy? What are they thinking? All of these quality resources at their disposal, the the hope of a brand new way of life. And the family settles for their old mess. Who would make a bad choice like that? And it would be a bad choice, wouldn't it? Certainly a very unwise choice. But I wonder if many believers don't make that unwise choice all the time. Think about it. Before Christ, our life is a mess, isn't it? Polluted with all kinds of sinful, unhealthy coping mechanisms. We'll do anything that we need to do just to try to survive life. We'll lie. We'll cheat. We'll steal. We'll undercut. We'll do whatever we need to do. We'll self-medicate with all kinds of different things just to try to get through the day. We're at war with God. We're headed for a Christless eternity in hell. But then we put our faith in Christ, and everything changes. Our sin is forgiven, our stained life is purified with His righteousness. Our place in God's family is secure. A boatload of heavenly supernatural resources are now at our disposal. In reality, our heavenly Father invites us into a whole new way of life, not just in heaven, but right now, right here on Earth, an extreme makeover life addition. Romans 8:29 declares that God's desire, his divine destiny, for every one of his adopted children is that we be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That, that day by day, we progress to looking and acting and reacting to life's situations just like Jesus would if he were in our place. To become like Jesus. That's the reality that every believer has been resourced for. But here's the problem. A lot of times, that transformation never really takes place. Oh, positionally, theologically, positionally, every true believer does stand righteous before a holy God because of the work of Christ on the cross. But I'm talking about practically speaking. Many times we don't see those day-to-day spiritual changes taking place. Maybe you know of somebody that put their faith in Christ a year ago or, 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 or decades ago. They're, they're regular church attenders. They, they go to life group every week. They've taken tambourine lessons to, to be up here with Tyson on the worship team. and, and you know, but, but after years of being in church, after years of being around other believers, the bus pulls out and they're standing in front of us is still the same old, worry-filled, self-reliant, angry soul that supposedly went through this redemptive metamorphosis years ago. And you really do have to ask, why? Why would you hang on to your old habits and patterns from the past when God is offering you so much more? To be honest, I have to ask myself that. Every time I talk about this, I'm convicted with my spiritual journey and how often I fall, how often I don't look like Jesus. But I do want to look like him. And I bet I bet you do too. And it's critical, not just for our sake, but, but for the sake of the kingdom. Because you see, when we look like Jesus, not only will we finally realize the abundant life that has been promised to us as God's people, but we will also become exceptional witnesses for the kingdom of God. Because you see, when people can see Jesus in you, when people see Jesus in the life of this church, When they see the hope and the joy and the strength and the wisdom that you're living with, they're going to say, my life is so empty. Whatever you have, I want it in my life. And you're going to see life after life after life transformed for the kingdom. So the question is, how? How can we experience a spiritual makeover that leaves us looking more and more like Jesus? Paul gives us some answers today. In Colossians 3, 1 through 17, we're going to look at three choices that we need to make every day. Choices that will lead us to a transformed life. Here's the first choice. Do you you have this on, on your program? I didn't see. Yeah? Got it? Okay. Choose to embrace your new identity in Christ. Choose to embrace your new identity in Christ. Let's look at Colossians 3, 1. Paul writes, since believers, you have been raised with Christ. We have to stop right here. It's just a small fragment, but it contains an incredibly pivotal truth. It's so important. We can't miss it. Since you have been raised with Christ, Paul is saying that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a resurrection took place. Your resurrection. The old you died. It went into the grave and a new you was born again. Paul puts it this way in Second Corinthians 5:17. In Christ, once you've put your faith in Christ, we are a brand new creation, not refurbished, not retrofitted. We are a brand new creation. The old us, with our mistakes and our and our past and our and, and sin's power over us, it's completely wiped out, and a new life with Christ begins again. In Galatians 2:20, Paul writes, "I." The old me has been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I'm in the grave, but Christ now lives in me. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, you may look in the mirror and see the same old you. But please believe me, you are not the same old you. You may even see some of your old flawed habits and negative patterns popping up now and again. But here's the deal, those patterns no longer have the power to define who you are. You used to be a victim to them, now you can be a victor over them. When you put your faith in Christ, you are born again as a citizen of God's kingdom, and it is now God who will define who you are as his child. You used to have to fend for yourself, make every decision on your own, but now you have the king of kings residing within you. And he's there to help you with every decision. He's there to give you the strength that you need for every situation that comes your way. Jesus is with you to help you live a kingdom kind of life right here on earth. And that is an amazing truth. But it's a truth that we often forget. So many times as Christians, we run around our lives and completely forget that we have Jesus with us, that we're a new person. We just keep on living like we did before Christ was there. So to jog our memories this morning, I want us to look at some characteristics of our new identity in Christ. Do you have another insert with this on there? Did you get that? Nice. All right. So I want us to read that together. And And if you're a believer, if you've put your faith in Christ, I want you to let these truths sink in. This is not what you're trying to earn, what you're trying to become. This is who you are right now because of the work of Christ. And if you're not a Christian... These will all be true about you once you make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. So let me read through these together. We'll all read through them together. Not the references, just the declarations, okay? And just just let this remind you of who you are now as a Christ follower. Here we go. In Christ, I am a saint. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am holy, blameless, and covered with God's love. I am chosen. I am God's child. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am identified by the Holy Spirit in me. I am God's masterpiece. I am near to God. I can come into God's presence with freedom and confidence. I am a minister. I am a member of Christ's body, the church. I am declared not guilty. I can no longer be condemned. I am set free from the law of sin and death. I am born of God, and the evil one can't touch me. I am a new creation. I am Christ's friend. I am complete. That's what's true about you if you're a Christ follower this morning. And I would encourage you to keep that insert handy, or maybe put it on your smartphone, but just review it on a regular basis so that you don't forget that you're not who you used to be. You're someone completely different in Christ. And it's living with this ongoing awareness of our new identity that provides the foundation upon which our transformation towards Christ-likeness can take place. But you're going to need to make a choice. Every day the old you is going to tug at your heart and pull you back to kind of just live in life on your own. You have a spiritual enemy that's going to do all he can to make you forget that Jesus is residing in you. He's going to say that change is impossible. Those old habits and patterns, you'll never be able to overcome them. But when those attacks come, that's when you need to rise up and declare, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But now Christ lives in me. And because of that, I can live like a child of the king. Choose to embrace your new identity in Christ. You're not who you used to be. Second choice as we journey towards Christ like this, choose to download and activate a new operating system. Choose to download and activate a new operating system, a kingdom way of life that is compatible with your new identity in Christ. But a year and a half ago, our family got a new PC and it came with Windows 8. Now at the time, Windows 8 was radically different than any other operating system that Windows had put out. Some of our old programs didn't work. So my wife and I had to learn how to work Windows 8, you know, and where the apps were and how the drop downs and everything, and it took us a couple months to get a feel for it. But but after we learned it, we, we, we liked it. It looked good. It was fast. It didn't crash. It was so much better than a Mac. I'll just pause, pause. Now Windows 10 is coming out, so we're excited about that. But you see, to take advantage of our new computer... We really had to learn and understand and and utilize a new operating system. Does that make sense? Paul says the same is true for believers that want to become like Jesus. Look at the passage, still in verse 1. He writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, signifying the power and the authority of Jesus, who now lives in us. You've got a powerful God in us. Set set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Look at this. For you died, remember? You died. There was a resurrection. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is saying, believers, instead of staying preoccupied with the the ways of the world and all of the things that used to just absorb you for so many years, it's time to make a shift. It's time to shift your focus onto the kingdom. That's where you belong now. Set your hearts here speaks of bringing the basic desires of our life into harmony with God's kingdom desires. Set our minds speaks of the renewing of our minds through God's word, but also Adopting a new set of of, of kingdom values and passions. It literally could be translated, get excited about what the Lord gets excited about. The things that motivated Jesus as he walked the earth. That's what you should be passionate about. And then just in case there's any confusion over a worldly operating system and a kingdom operating system, Paul goes on to get specific. Look at verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, believers... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put it to death. I mean, we know the old us died. But every once in a while, we have these like zombie behaviors that come back from the dead. You know what I'm talking about? And we've put them to death and then they come back. And those corrosive attitudes or behaviors or competition or anger or or something that, that drags us down. And Paul says you used to have to be a victim to that. It would just suck you in and you'd go with it. But not anymore. Now as a believer, through the power of Christ, you need to rise up and drive a wooden stake through that behavior's heart. You need to put it to death. Because of Jesus Christ, you can now choose a better way to live. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Put to death, therefore... I used a zombie illustration. My kids would be proud. Put to death, therefore... (coughs) Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Then he gets specific. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Believers, why would you even want to dabble in this counterfeit cardboard imitation love that the world has to offer? It's garbage. You have got the perfect, precious, unconditional, unending love of Almighty God to to bask in. Why even dabble in this garbage? evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Why would you worship anything other than the king of kings who gave his life for you because he loved you so much? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. They're opposed to his kingdom. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but you're a different person. But now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It doesn't fit who you have become. Do not lie to each other. That's the language of Satan. Why would you want to mimic him? Now look at the exchange here. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, you've taken off those old, stinky, sinful rags that you used to have to live in. And you've put on the new self. Through Christ, you've gotten dressed up in the royal robes of a citizen of God's kingdom. Wow. Big switch. Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your heritage. Doesn't matter where you've come, what you've done in the past. Once you put your faith in Christ, Christ comes into your life and we all have the same goal. That's to look like him. Paul goes on to get specific now about the the new kingdom operating system that we should activate. In verse 12, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and I love that he leads with this. It's as if Paul is saying, you know, I'm going to talk about some behaviors now that I want to see emerge in your lives. But I want to be very clear, you're not living this way to earn God's love. You're doing this to, uh, in, in response to God's love. Because you're chosen, because you're holy, because you're dearly loved, because you have the king of kings residing in you, you now have the power to let these kingdom values start to percolate up and out of your life. And so he says, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, literally put up with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember? Remember all that God has forgiven you of? Express that kingdom value to someone else who needs it. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, Paul calls us to adopt a new way of life, a, a way of life that looks a lot like Jesus, don't you think? So think about it. What, what is your default operating system these days? How, how do you make your decisions, your, your plan, your, 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 your life, your, your priorities? What is guiding you? Is it, is it the wisdom of the world? Are you still kind of self-guided, kind of doing what you want to do, doing your own thing, deciding what's most important to you? Or using a kingdom operating system? Are you including God and in the, the values of the kingdom in your process? Lord, Lord, how do you want me to spend my money? What are the priorities? Where do you want me to invest? I've got to make this decision with this employee. Should I invest in them or cut them loose? Lord, help me understand what I should do here. Show me how I can be a more compassionate person. How, how do you want me to to build into my kids? Is it the world or is it the kingdom that are guiding your decision-making? It's only God's way that will lead you to a life just like Jesus. Well, the third choice you need to make is you want to become more and more like Jesus. And it is a journey. It is a process. But we need to choose to turn our human trying into spiritual training. We need to choose to turn our trying into training. I don't know about you, but, but... When I see this exchange life that Paul calls us to, taking off the old rags and putting on the robes, my immediate response is to feel really guilty because I know how far short I fall in what he's calling me to. And I say, I've got to try harder. I've just got to try harder to to shift my heart and my mind to things above. I've got to try harder to, to get rid of those behaviors that keep tripping me up. I've got to try harder to look like Jesus. But the harsh reality is just trying harder through my own human strength and willpower is not going to be enough. Because in and of myself, I don't have what it takes to transform my life and make myself like my king of kings. I can't do it. And honestly, neither can you. If you're trying to to look like Jesus through your own efforts... Save yourself a lot of disappointment and just give up now. It is not going to happen. You can't self-will your way into a perfect Christian life. It can't happen through us just trying. But it can happen as we enter into a life of spiritual training. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 9:24 through 27. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Get intentional about how you're living your life. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, just a, a wreath they can wear on their head. But, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, says Paul. No, there's a point to my life. That point is to look like Jesus and to carry out his work in the world. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I'm very clear on who my spiritual enemy is. I know the behaviors that I have to put to death. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see, Paul had a very intentional spiritual training regimen that he involved himself in to look more and more like Jesus. Dallas Willard was a great Christian writer and thinker. He's now with the Lord. But he used to differentiate between trying and training this way. He said, you know, you can try to play a Beethoven piano concerto. You can try really hard. You can sit at a piano bench your whole life and just try and just plink and try, and you're going to try harder. and You're just going to try, but you'll probably make very little progress. But it's very different if you enter into a life of training. If you get a music teacher and if you learn to read music and you practice your scales and arpeggios and and start with easier pieces of music and and work your way up, if you involve yourself in intentional activities that will move you towards your goal, you're going to make some good progress and eventually you're going to be able to accomplish that goal. And he says the same is true for Christians interested in, in transformation. He writes, true transformation is possible, if we're willing to rearrange our lives around the same activities that Jesus engaged in to remain in continual fellowship with his Father and to receive continual power from his Father. I mean, we know that Jesus was very busy in his earthly ministry. People were pulling on him all the time. But I hope you also know that he bracketed time to get away and be with his dad. He, he went up on a mountainside or out on the lake or wherever just to stay connected to stay in close fellowship with his Father, to stay connected to His power. And maybe you've had those moments where maybe a retreat, or maybe you're out on your own, or you, you just felt so close to God. You just felt like Jesus was just bursting out of you and, you. and you felt so you said, This is what, this is what my spiritual life is all about. But but then the busyness of life takes place. And, we got so many decisions, and we've got the kids, and we got the job, and, you know, and, and before you know it, we start to drift. And, and our fellowship with God is distanced, and we didn't even realize it, but we're not living in his power anymore. We're living through our power. That's why spiritual discipline, spiritual activities are so important, a regular regimen, because these are activities that are designed to keep pulling us back into God's presence every day. It's so important for us to have a training regimen, just like we do physically. We need it spiritually as well. And so I'd encourage you to have an intentional training program for your spiritual life. First thing you need to do if you want to enter into training is to give up. Every day, just say, Holy Spirit, I can't change my life, but you can. And I invite you today to make me more like Jesus. Convict me when I've gotten off course. When I say a, a word that I shouldn't to someone else, help me to be quick to ask for forgiveness. When, when I when I see a need that Jesus would go and meet, help me to go meet that need as well. Holy Spirit, you go to work in my life. And once once you've activated that, then say, what are the, the, the activities I can be involved in? One of the ones that everybody should be involved in is, is personal Bible study. Have you ever heard that? Anyone ever told you you should read God's word? I'm not sure about this church, so I'm just, just wondering right? If you, only, if you only feast on God's word once a week, you're going to be a hungry Christian. We need to be self-feeders. We need to learn to feed ourselves with God's word and let God speak to us. And it's not to gain head knowledge alone. Oftentimes when Bible study is just so that we can win the Bible quiz and we can be the most Bible literate person in the room and all, that's often a pathway to arrogance, to be honest with you. We we read God's word because that's where we learn the operating system. So we read it and we learn it and then we apply it in our lives and read it and learn it and apply it. That's what Bible study is all about, learning to live like God wants us to live. Prayer. Prayer. Yeah, our hearts touch the sky when our knees hit the ground. God wants to be in conversation with you all day long. He wants to hear your heart. He wants you to share your struggles and your joys. He wants to speak to you at, at certain points in your life. He just wants to say, hey, just wait up. Trust in me. It's going to be okay. But prayer is so important, not just before dinner, but throughout the day in your life. Regular times of solitude or fasting or prayer or worship, anything that will keep you mindful of the things of God's kingdom. You know, I'm sure the pastors here can help you put together a a spiritual training program, activities that will help you reach your goal of looking more like Jesus. But bottom line, if you want to become more like Jesus, don't just try. That's not going to work. Enter into a life of training. And if you embrace your new identity, if you choose to adopt a new operating system, and if you do enter into a life of training, what's the result? It's going to be a life. It's going to be a church that looks like Jesus. Paul writes in in verse 15, he says, Church, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ, the gospel, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, pretty comprehensive, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, literally as his representative on this earth, giving thanks to God the Father through him, living to bring glory to God in all that we do and all that we say, just like Jesus. That's what an extreme life makeover is all about inviting God to take our mess and to go to work. And day by day, we change. Until finally, when the bus pulls away through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will look just like Mabel. Let me close with her story. Mabel was a person that loved Jesus, and she looked a lot like Jesus. Tom Schmidt interacted closely with Mabel, and he writes this. He writes, The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside, and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there, and I always left with a sense of relief. It is not the kind of place that one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a a few who were alive enough to receive a a flower and a word of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in her wheelchair. She was blind, almost deaf, and her face was an absolute horror. One side being eaten away by cancer. There was a a discolored and running sore covering part of her cheek. It had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw. So what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was later told that new nurses, when they arrived, these supervisors would send them in to feed this woman, thinking if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building, I also learned that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people that I saw in the hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and I, I said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She she held up the flower to her face and tried to smell it, and and then she spoke. And and much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformities, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm, I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That's when it began to dawn on me that this was not a normal human being. Later, I learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother. After her mother died, she worked the farm alone until blindness set in. Eventually, her illness drove her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker, constant headaches, backaches, aches, and then the cancer came. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and the stench was overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks. And I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from her tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible. And often when I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing with her. And she would know all the words to all the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about the lyrics that she considered relevant to her situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress that she placed on certain lines and certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would go to her with pen and paper to write down the things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in 10 directions at once with all the things I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and I asked, Mabel, what do you think about as you lie here? And she said, I think about... My Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care about what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I'm sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. That's what a human life can become. Through the transforming power of God's spirit, despite her dark difficult circumstances mabel still reflected the glory of jesus and enjoyed a a life of joy and peace and strength and hope and so can you don't settle for a superficial faith don't settle for letting your old self dominate and suffocate who you've become as a as a child of god Invite God to conform you to the glorious image of his son, and he will. And you will know life in all of its abundance. And this church filled with people who look like Jesus will see life after life after life transformed for the glory of God. To become like Jesus. It can happen. Let's pray.